Hey y'all, I'm Maya Hobgood and I want to welcome you to Value Waking Up Your Leadership podcast. Today we have a special guest. We have Shayla Hernan Edmonds, who is the founder and chief creative officer of Oh My Goodness Wellness Bar, located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. All right, so thank you for joining me today on this lovely Friday afternoon. But um, <laughs> I'm just going to start off by asking you the questions that I sent you. But um, if you don't mind introducing yourself, what you do and how you got there, that would be great. <laughs> sure. I'm Shayla Herndon Edmonds, and I am an entrepreneur. I actually have two businesses. Uh, one is Oh My Goodness Wellness Bar, which is a boutique wellness practice that offers natural products as well as body work services and I am a racial equity consultant as well all right perfect so considering you are entrepreneur and you have two two gigs or two things going on right now could you um, just share your entrepreneurship uh, journey or your entrepreneurial journey like when did it begin and how did you like end up to where you are today sure so I like to think that my entrepreneurial journey started when I was in elementary school. Um, I was I lived with my grandparents and my mom, and all three of them gave me lunch money. Mm-hmm. And so I would keep the lunch money from two of them and buy candy from the candy store for a penny. And then after lunch, I would sell it for 25 cents a piece. <laughs> and so I always had money to do little things for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of when it started. But I lived in a family of people who had who were entrepreneurs at, either as their full-time job. Um, so I bought penny candy from a family-owned candy store. Um, and then I had family members who ha- were entrepreneurs as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily realize how impactful that was on me until I became an entrepreneur and people started asking me this question Um, but it kind of grew from that to you know being the kid who then had a babysitting business Um, and and then um, you know I like most people you grow up and you start to focus on college and becoming who people tell you you should be and doing the things that people tell you you should do Mm -hmm. and the message was get a job you know and make your way you know earn your keep and make your way and so I started to kind of like put aside the idea of being entrepreneurial in a formal way Mm -hmm. um and then when I became a mom I had you know my my oldest son who's now 14 when he was smaller he had really bad eczema and I was having issues with keeping his skin um keeping his skin happy because his skin was usually angry the doctors would prescribe steroid creams and things that weren't harm that were harmful and I just felt so guilty like I didn't know what to do about it but I just knew that I didn't feel good about what they were recommending mm-hmm. and so I started making a channel you know I'm a southerner and I grew up with my grandmother grandparents as I mentioned so my grandmother had a, a tincture or a remedy for everything and so I just kind of started to think like what would my grandmother do or what would my elders aunties create Mm -hmm. and they were trying to solve this and so I created a body butter to protect my son's skin and you know we we also are averse to ash so he also just needed general hydration Um, (laughs) and so I you know made it for him and started using it for the family and then friends tried it and it was years before I actually decided to go to market with the product and start a business actually 
my I have three children. So my youngest child was born and he's now five. And I didn't I launched the business actually while he was an infant. Um, because I realized that I wasn't the only mom or particularly black mom who was having issues with um not only kids who had eczema, but not necessarily having products that were marketed to people who look like us, mm-hmm. that were still healthy. Um, so when I realized that like less than 25% of the products that are health and beauty products marketed to black people are actually non-toxic, I was just like, well, that's not okay. Um, and so I started the business partly out of protest because I was mad about that reality and felt like, you know, you've got something that works, so why not be a part of the solution versus just being frustrated with the fact that, you know, when I was a kid and my mom took me to the department store, you found the black and brown products on a part of an aisle, and now I take my kids and we've expanded to an end cap. Mm -hmm. Although black women alone spend about $7.6 billion on health and beauty products a year, so it's like the market doesn't respond to us even though we are like in every segment our spending and buying power is Mm -hmm. just beyond beyond and so that's really how that started um on the diversity side it was more so having worked in diversity and inclusion for a while and starting to get calls from organizations that needed help and wanted a place to start and so it you know, started as a, a side hustle and just evolved to being something that I enjoy doing full time. Um, not that it's not difficult work, but I feel like when I have the opportunity to be a truth teller and to push leaders to actually lead and to not look at equity and inclusion as an add-on versus the core of what they're supposed to be doing, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I think that I saw on Facebook that this was your 30 days as like a full-time entrepreneur and I wanted to just ask a little bit about that because I know that I met you at like an artisan market fair at Wake and that's when you were working at Wake but now you're not unfortunately and I'm like oh so what is she doing and then I saw that you're like a full-time entrepreneur so can you like tell me about that or like that transition and how that's been yeah you know I left Wake for a role that the the nonprofit recruited me um, partly because I was an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. I worked with a nonprofit organization called Forward Cities uh, for a little over a year, and their focus was on or is on equitable entrepreneurship. And so I worked with them as their director of talent development and um, culture for a little over a year. And the job was great. You know, part of why I wanted to go there was to use my entrepreneurial lens and my equity lens to help them build infrastructure. So helping them to take good care of their team and have a culture of care Mm -hmm. because it it doesn't, like you can't go out into the world professing to be an equity-minded nonprofit if you're not doing the equity work within your organization. And so I really enjoyed being able to do that. But then frankly with COVID, you know, I was navigating having two businesses or two side hustles, a full-time job, three children who are all being homeschooled, and the summer ended. <laughs> Over the summer, you know, we could get by with, you know, family movies and here, read this and read that, and then suddenly it's like, no, like, everyone needs to be logged on and academics, and I was overwhelmed. Um, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the list goes on just really started to make me think about um, whether or not I wanted to, what it meant for me to 
use my agency and my skills in a different way. Mm-hmm. And working in a business focused on entrepreneurship in communities of color, it also became more clear to me that I wasn't going to close the wealth gap in my community by being an employee. Um, and so I had to kind of like have a values check and decide like, what are you really doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, you know, my business had grown to a point where it really didn't make sense for me to continue to be, a, I was losing money by becoming, by remaining an employee. And so I decided to make the transition, um, a little over 30 days ago after four months managing clients and the job and everything else. And I just realized if I can spend a hundred hours a week working, what would it look like to actually invest that energy on something that I can pass on to my kids or I can hire people and create jobs so that they can have a path similar to mine if that's what they desire. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like from a equity and inclusion and access standpoint, because I have the ability and the resources to do that right now, it feels like a a greater level of contribution that it's just time for me to make. Mm So I guess like aside from COVID and being at home and having all these like circumstances happen to you. So like, how did you know your value or like, how did you know your values like plural versus like singular? Yeah. Um, my, I think it took me realizing who I am, like what my core gifts are. And that took a while to sort of embrace at the core, at my core, I'm a healer. And so whether that is helping someone to heal their angry skin or figuring out why they're having breakouts or something that's happening more in the physical realm, you know, I also think about equity work as healing work, you know, helping organizations to create infrastructure where they are reducing harm and not Mm -hmm. perpetuating it. Like for me, I, I knew that my value was helping institutions and people to do that and part of that is through helping people to become more Mm self-aware so I I know that I I add value as a coach Um, I have the ability to coach people I'm also a really good listener so listening beneath the words and really intuitively helps a lot when Mm -hmm. people don't feel well or when they when um when they don't feel well whether that's a physical thing or whether it's the impacts of trauma related to racism and all the things that um, are wrong in the world, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase. So I think that I realized how valuable it was, um, more so in the last year, when at every turn, um, I was encountering people who needed some form of healing, and they were feeling unheard, and they were seeking people who look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily know that I realized just how much that mattered. I knew how much it mattered to me. I just didn't realize how much it mattered to other people. And so people were like, like, where have you been all my life? Um, and um, never stop making products. So I, I think that that's kind of how I found it. And other black women telling me how valuable I am because no one affirms us like us. And right. sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes the faith that other people have in us and what other people see in us is what propels us until we know it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I turned 40 this year, and I think that this is part of the, the year of, yes, <laughs> of me knowing myself and yes. being unapologetic about it. So, of you know, who I am and you can deal or not deal. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, so just like trying to figure, like pick off what you said, cause you said a lot of good stuff. So you said you're a coach. So what do you mean in that aspect? Because I know personally, uh, my brother's a life coach. So he like helps with like goal setting and like making you, um, realize the problem and then go to the solution and then helping out with that. But then also being, excuse me, being a black woman, we just kind of have this nurturing sense in us and that we are able to listen a little bit. We are nurturing, we're healers naturally, but doing it in a way where I guess we're not overexhausting ourselves and making sure like we have our self-care, but your whole company is self-care. So after I'm done listening to people, I will put on my candle that I have for you or like my white amber shea butter. And I just, I just have to know, like, how do you, how do you, because you're surrounded by self-care, like, what do you do, I guess, to keep yourself in it? Because even though you're surrounded by it, it still can be exhausting because that is your business. And then, like, the previous question, I guess, like, what does being a coach mean to you? Yeah. So what being a coach means to me is similar to what you described with your brother. Mm-hmm. So I am a certified life coach um, and have been for over 12 years now. So for me, it is helping people to... Um, become aware of their circumstances and how they feel about themselves um, and where they are. And then to start to dig down into like, what is it that you desire to change or to create more of? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. usually involves helping people to just find language for it. Cause we're not always taught to like, you know, as, as I remember as, you know, growing up that I grew up in a household with a mom who didn't really do feelings. I, I, you know, it was just like, something's going on, you suck it up and you move it on. And so as a coach, I find myself having to help people to unlearn those behaviors and the ways in which they were socialized to like not hear and see themselves. Um, And so as a coach, that's a part of the work. And then it's just, in some ways, giving people permission to just be themselves and to figure out what that looks like. Um, And it's really different from person to person, but that's what I think about as coaching, helping people to get grounded where they are so that they can then figure out what moving forward looks like. And sometimes that may mean that I'm referring them to a therapist that can help them look backwards Mm -hmm. to find out like, how did I get here? Because that's important too. Um, Which, you know, is a good segue into what I do for myself. So therapy has been a life-giving, life-saving experience for me that I highly value. Um, I meditate. So every day, you know, before my feet hit the ground, I engage in some form of meditation or sitting in stillness. Uh, Journaling is a part of my experience as well. And then the interesting thing, at least with the herbal bar or the wellness bar, is that when I am creating, that is a therapeutic experience. So I can come home from a long day, or now that I'm not coming home, I'm like getting out of my, moving out of my office and into another space. Like at the end of a long day, you know, um, setting up in the lab, you know, creating a new product or making a 15 pound batch of body butter is actually incredibly relaxing. So I'm really fortunate in that most of my work doesn't always feel like work. No one, you know, when there's a hundred orders that need to be fulfilled, that feels like work. Um, Making in the creation part is actually like really, really life giving. Um, I take naps. I am a strong believer in naps. Yes. And then I, I, (laughs) And then I have um, 
have a core group of friends who, A, we, we speak every week, every Sunday, I have a master class with my friend group, and we kind of replay what's come up for us in that week, which gives time, sometimes I just, sometimes you just need to, like, hear it outside of yourself and have someone else say, we tripping, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know what, you should actually go for that, and so I have a circle of friends that we do that with each other. Um, and we support each other. So having a group of folks that I know that I can be quite frankly raggedy with, but then I can also be my best. Oh, I got it today. You know, I can be the version of Shayla and then I can be the, I am a, I am like, a, you know, I can't stop crying. Like I can be that version of myself too. Um, that's been really important because early in my career in life, I did fall into the black woman as superwoman trope. Mm-hmm. where I was holding space for other people, but no one was holding space for me. We don't do that anymore. Great. <laughs> so boundaries. <laughs> yes. Boundaries are a big thing. It's also something I've been coming to. Yes. Boundaries. And I have built my village. Um, and, you know, I think that those are the things that are most important. And having kids helps a lot because they keep you grounded. <laughs> And remind you that you have figured out nothing, and oh, yet I... you can be amazing and clueless. Like my kids think that I'm a rock star, and yet I know that I don't know what I'm doing, and it's okay. <laughs> I can believe it. I'm going. Um, I'm going into teaching, so I'll be teaching middle school, and I know they're gonna tell me about myself. So I'm just waiting on it. Listen, they will tell you about yourself, and they will remind you of like who you were before you started to listen to all the socialization. Mm-hmm. Um, like I aspire to be like my kids when I grew up. And before I became a parent, I thought that they'd be wanting to be like me. It's the other way around, yeah. with the exception of the five-year-old because he's a little off the hook. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's just something like so uncensored about kids, and like they question everything, and then they're like. Like, why are we doing these social norms? Or why are we doing what they say? Of course, like the legal things. But it makes you question of like, why do you do the things that you do? And I think it's just important to kind of have that kid-like mindset where it's like imagination or creativity or like the spirit of living. Like kids are not afraid to fall. Like they'll fall, they'll get back up and they'll keep going. And I think that's just amazing. It's something to always remember because they may have a little bloody knee, but they're going to wipe it off and get back on the playground. Yeah, kids ask the right questions. So they don't, you know, they ask why this this exists? Why are we following this norm? But when it comes to what they desire, they don't ask, do I deserve it? <laughs> you know, they, they're not like, should I get, should I be able to have this? Should Am I good enough for this? They're just like, nope, I want that. And there's this confidence that comes along with it that I think that oftentimes we lose as we start to, you know, move through education and socialization mm-hmm. yeah. so I'm trying to reclaim yeah. that yeah so I guess like just going yeah. off of that in what ways has like your courage been tested or like are there any point where you had like fear and you had to like overcome it even with your entrepreneur journey or your journey as a mother honestly <laughs> all all of the above yes <laughs> lots of moments that have um challenged me um and that I've had that challenged my courage I think that if you asked me a year ago when I would be moving into full-time entrepreneurship I would have had even if I hadn't said it I would have played the tape of you need to have this month number of months 
of this saved and that saved and you need to be at this level. Um, and then COVID hit and I saw Ruth Chris and all of these organizations who were technically small, well, not all of them were technically small businesses. Some of them were playing games. <laughs> but the reality is that a small business like mine that has two full-time employees was competing for PPP with organizations that have 499 to 500 employees. It's a totally different scale. And so seeing some of those organ- those, some of those companies apply or file for bankruptcy or say they're laying off people after 30 days. And I'm like, all this time we've been, I've been getting these messages that like my business is not ready or I'm not ready because I don't have all these things lined up and roof. Chris is asking for people. It just kind of like blew up my whole idea of what being ready looked like or what it had to look like for me, but it's still like, it's still, was a threatening experience because I had to get past my fear of like, what does it mean to give up what I've been taught to see as security, which is being fully, fully employed right. by some employer. So that it took a while for me to get there. And then, uh, I mean, I think things kept unfolding and little by little, my anxiety or fear of it started to dissipate. But if you'd asked me a year ago, would I be here right now? 30 days into full-time entrepreneurship. I'll be like, mm, no, give me a few more years so I can, you know, get myself together. And um, and that's not the case anymore, or at least not to, to the same extent. Um, as a parent, I think that I experience moments that challenge my courage all the time because I care deeply about these human beings. And yet, you know, my, my oldest is 14 years old, so I've never had a ninth grader before. I am completely writing the rule book as we go, while also trying to um, unlearn things that were part of my upbringing that I don't want to impart to my kids. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel like a complete hypocrite because it's like what's coming out of my mouth does not match what is in my heart. And it's like, you know, sometimes I, I open my mouth and I, and I hear my grandmother and not Shayla. And then I have to say, you know what? I'm sorry. That's not really how mommy should have handled that. So let's, you know, let me walk that back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there is, there are times when I worry or I'm afraid of um, being the mom that like people like in, you know, they're in therapy like 30 years ago and they're like, my mom used to always, like, I, I don't want to be that mom. Um, <laughs> that kids, that my kids are using their copays to, to go to, to therapy and talk about. <laughs> okay. Oh <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, honestly, I think it's really good that like, like you acknowledge when you're wrong and then you're like, okay, mommy shouldn't have done that. And then you kind of regroup it because I think at least me, like at least when I was growing up, it was like the parents always right. No back talking. If you're back talking, that's disrespect. But sometimes I just genuinely had a question of like, why are we doing it like this? And why can't we not do it like that? So I guess like curiosity and also like having the parents being like accountable, I think it's changing in this time frame. Also because, you yeah. know, they're not allowed to like beat kids anymore, I think is good. So because <laughs> the stories I've heard from like my grandparents, it's like, yep, they told me to get a switch and they told me to get a belt. And I'm just like, hmm. I feel like kids right now, if we had that, would be in so much more trouble. So it's just nice to see, like, the generations coming up. But, again, like, having, again, the kids 
be able to question things and having the parents be like, okay, I was wrong, but I'm like, I'm still the parents. You got to like respect me to an extent, but still because I was wrong, you should do it this way and acknowledge that. Yeah. And just going off of that. You know, I think that working in higher education helped me with that. I mean, I, my son, my oldest son was six months old when I came back to higher ed. So I worked in higher ed full time while I was getting my undergraduate degree. But seeing students, particularly students of color, who are more likely to grow up in households where they're expected to be seen but not heard, what I started to notice in students that I was mentoring is that they didn't have a clue as to how to advocate for themselves or when it was okay to. And so it just really reinforced in me this idea of how silly it is for us to expect to raise children in a context where you speak when you're spoken to, you don't have an opinion and all these things. And then suddenly they're supposed to turn 18 or graduate and go to college or into workspaces and know that they have a voice and that their voice matters. And then when someone talks sideways to them, they should find a way to appropriately address it. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. And so, you know, I definitely carried that into my philosophy as a parent because seeing brilliant kids at Wake Forest and then other institutions who really struggled with, like, is it okay for me to push back or to ask this question? Like, that just, that didn't sit right with me. Um, Students just getting the opportunity to advocate. Um, That's not okay. And so that definitely informs, you know, my parenting. And then as far as banking and stuff, in my experience, I feel like, you know, when we don't address issues as parents or as people, and we allow things to stack and escalate, when things get to a point of violence, it actually means that you've lost control, not the child or the other person. Mm-hmm. And that's on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't mean that sometimes I'm like, I bet it was easier when my mom would just say, you know what, you got one more time. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, I think that, yeah, there's a lot more to consider than just the immediacy of a switch or a spanking. Right. And I'm glad that's changed over time <laughs> and we're starting to learn that. And I guess um, at least being at a PWI, you've noticed that, or at least I noticed that like my peers and my counterparts there, they grew up with questioning authority. So when I see them like asking questions to professors and I'm just like, you, you just ask that? I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and then I'm able to ask it and I don't get like rebuttal or I don't get a, like, why would you ask that? I think that's kind of changed and that's like come with being at weight. So I'm able to like question authority. I'm able to learn from it. Of course, all in a respectful manner. And if it does come off yeah. disrespectful, they would, at least they'll tell me in like a respectful way. So it's not like I would get a beating <laughs> or my mom would be like, you got one more time. Yeah. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. And then I think I came into... I came into more into my mental health at Wake because, of course, counseling was free because I didn't have that growing up. And then real. realizing what self-care is. So I also, like, I do journaling. Um, sometimes I turn off everything and, like, have my candles on and I just breathe. <laughs> I meditate. Yes. Um, sometimes I call my brother and just vent because I hate not being heard. And I realized like my brother also hates that. So he would just call me and I realized I have to ask like, do you want advice or you just want to be heard right now? And that's a huge difference because he doesn't want me to talk. He does not want me to talk. He just wants me to listen. And like, I repeat everything every now and then. So he knows that I'm listening and then like agree with him on certain things. I know he wants me to agree with. So it's just like having that is something that like I've developed and learned throughout the years. So like mental health is important. Self-care is important and being heard is important. So as you were saying all these things, like as a coach, 
as a black woman in America, as a mother, I'm just like, yes, all right, I'm on the right track. You know, I'm only 21, (laughs) but we're getting there. You are are well on your way. I was probably almost 30 before I realized the importance of asking, like, who do you, what role do you want me to play? Because I've been coach Shayla since I was 14, helping friends through problems. Like my, if you meet my friends and you say, well, tell me about Shayla, they'll say, oh, she's the voice of reason, which is cute until it's not, you know, or until it's like, we don't have the right boundaries. And then it becomes, you know, a frustration or something like that. So the fact that you are already doing the things that you're describing, I wasn't doing all that when I was 21. I'm going to be very honest with you. I was not. Yeah, I had a fast time to develop because, you know, um, <laughs> I spent my time in Copenhagen my first year abroad. So I was completely shook up. I was in like the OG white people place. Like I was <laughs> I was the visitor. Like it was no longer I'm African-American. And, you know, my people built this land. It's like, no, we don't belong there. That's Viking land. So <laughs> having that and then realizing who I am and having to take care of myself as the only black person in the cohort, as the only black woman, period. Again, it just puts some things on you and it makes you realize that you yeah. got to take care of the body, mind, that's why and spirit. Con- mm-hmm. That's why contrast is so important because when you have an experience where there's so much contrast, you can't help but see yourself. Right. Um, you know, and so I'm not surprised that you came back with eyes wide open um, <laughs> after that experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it changes you. But then having... <laughs> Someone like having a life, my brother going through life coaching school and then he's kind of like, he gave me a couple free sessions and I'm able to identify things and I'm kind of life coaching him. <laughs> We're just yes. kind of going back and forth and being that voice <laughs> of reason. When the student becomes the teacher. Yes. <laughs> so it's good. I'm thinking about going into like counseling, like when I graduate and stuff anyway, because I like this, I like being that help for one another, but I didn't want to go into it unless I knew how to take care of myself. So that was yeah. like the main thing. So it sounds like you're well on your way let's hope so <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just gonna keep going um, with the questions so uh do you have any exa- excuse me do you have any examples of when you were challenged to be honest and how did that play out <laughs> uh yes so the i the experience that comes to mind first in the entrepreneurial context um in 2007 i participated in this program called creative startups winston-salem and so I was, it's basically um, an accelerator program for small businesses. And at the end of the program, you pitch your business and you have the chance of winning a prize. So the top prize for that particular program was $25,000. And so I was working at Wake. I think that at that point, yeah, I was a mom of three at that point. So I'm navigating working. I'm teaching a FYE class at Wake. I am, you know raising kids and they're in school and all those things. And I've got this week long deep dive in Winston Salem where I'm supposed to be on site with other entrepreneurs and all day and then into the evening. And I'm like, okay, like I have a whole family and a whole life and my business, like I've got orders coming in while I'm down here with you all, you know, talking about entrepreneurship or And so I was doing this dance all week of, you know, and I had to stay on site. So I was literally at the hotel that they provided for us. So I would get out of session and then hop on to like uh, Zoom or FaceTime to help my son with his homework, then go back to do my homework. So 
long story short, during the course of the week, I didn't have time to dig into all the components of my business model that I really needed to zoom into. I took a step back and I was just like, how am I going to get through this? Because, you know, as black women, we're resilient. And that means that we know how to focus our energy. We know Mm -hmm. what we're going to let go of and what we're going to focus on. And that's part of what makes us resilient. So I decided that I was going to focus on everything but the financial model because that wasn't my strong suit. So it's pitch night and I have prepared for everything, but I knew that I didn't have numbers quite straight and I was early in the business and so I gave my pitch and um it was then time for questions from investors and so I'm standing there and I knew someone was going to ask me about my numbers and like why I had presented them the way I did and so I had this moment where I was just like you know I could like make something up and just try to wing it or I could just be very honest and so I decided I'm just going to be very honest. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I knew someone here was going to ask this question. And to be honest with you, I don't know what I need to scale. Like this is this is what I know about my business. I know my customers deeply. I know that they want what I'm offering. I've got proof of concept. And I know that I can take that to the bank because Black women who are my inspiration, like, we, we run this space, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least, you know, um, in, in, in the ways that matter to me. And so, you know, I gave him my very honest answer and he just kind of smiled. And then he wrote, you know, how judges are when you're doing a pitch or something. Yeah. They don't engage much. They just write. So I'm like, I don't know if that's a score or if that's a comment or what. I just knew, OK, like this is the truth. And so um, I, you know, answered the rest of the questions, the competition was you know over and the next day I won the first place prize oh wow Um, (laughs) congratulations so thank you so it was a $25,000 interest-free loan to invest in my business in whatever way um I needed to and it just taught me that I don't have to have all the things figured out and sometimes the idea of faking it till you make it may result in you not being authentic and people, when it comes to business, especially when you're a small business owner, people are investing in you more than they are investing in your product. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's plenty of people who sell shea butter. <laughs> they don't sell shea butter like my shea butter. Of course. And they're not- <laughs> but they're, when it comes to investors and, and relationships, like it's really important to be authentic. And so that was, I'm glad that I made the right decision. Um, and was just transparent because I also know that that was part of what won over the investors. Great. Um, so this was actually supposed to be 20 to 30 minutes, but we've been talking for like 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so I'm going to try to get in like a couple more questions about. And I'll like, give shorter answers. Okay. I'll try to. No, this is really good. So I was trying to uh, get more about like leadership and like the virtues of entrepreneurship. And then at the end, I'm just going to ask um, what advice you would get for entrepreneurs or student entrepreneurs to just keep that in the back of your head. So I guess, um, hmm, what question? Okay, so is it ever hard for you to be humble or like how did you learn humility, excuse me? Um, I don't think it's hard for me to be humble um, because having come from humble beginnings, you know, um, having the experience of, either not knowing 
knowing what was going to be, not knowing if there was going to be dinner or not being sure like what it was going to be. I think that when you have some experiences that help you to understand that you can't take Maslow's for granted, right, um, makes you really appreciative of being able to create um, or um, having empathy and humility. So I, I think that life experience is what taught that for me. Um, because I, I know that in spite of, you know, challenges and struggles that I may have experienced growing up that, um, I've been incredibly blessed and privileged. Um, and so, yeah, I just don't take it for granted. And I don't take for granted that everyone has their own story Mm -hmm. and is doing their own version of the best that they can. Um, and you know, that that's enough. Well, that perfectly answered that question, so thank you. <laughs> um, okay, um, are there any other virtues of character that have been important in your life that we haven't touched on yet? So that could be hope, that could be like resilience. Um, you can talk about more role models that you have, so just, it's like, you have options. <laughs> hmm. I think that values that are important important for entrepreneurs I definitely come back to authenticity Mm -hmm. Um, and that's important because most many people who become entrepreneurs are going to be creating something that already exists Mm -hmm. Um, but your authenticity and your story and your connection to it are not only valuable but you can monetize it. You know, when you go to the grocery store, there are hundreds of bags, there's dozens of brands of bread. You know what I mean? Right. Um, there's all of these types of coffee. So you can, you may likely be entering a market that already exists. What separates you from others is your story, your authenticity, um, and your trend and your honesty to who you are. So mm-hmm. when I launched and I told people that my business focused on African American women and women of color, I had people to say to me, "Well, you know, people might not like that. Maybe you should just say you're you you market to women." And I was like, "No, like, like my my guinea pigs and my ha- and my family and my friend group are black women." Right. <laughs> About what to create. Oftentimes, those requests are coming from black women, like. That is my internal, eternal focus group. I'm not going to hide that. And if there's someone that for some reason doesn't want, oh my goodness, because I'm inspired by my own lived experience and women who look like me, I'm okay with them not being my customer. Mm -hmm. But for Mm -hmm. those who understand that something that could be good for me could also be good for them, they are welcome to come and try all the things. So recognizing like that, that level of connection and authenticity helps you to understand that your business does not have to be for everyone to scale Um, and you have to have it because people will talk you out of your business Mm -hmm. and your your uniqueness if you listen um yeah if you can do that I feel like the rest you'll figure out (laughs) oh perfect because I know like I personally am starting a business based off of women of color so (laughs) that's my market but Mm -hmm. it's in the hair industry and that's like billions of dollars so I know that I'm going to be able to scale and do whatever I need but they're like oh you're closing off to like everybody else so I'm just like 
I said what I said <laughs> and like I know what I'm going to yeah. do and it's and it's okay because yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that even if you are for a certain market it doesn't matter like it's it's right. not as small as you think you know yeah and if you don't have a focus and a compelling why then you really don't know who to create for right so because I know to create for women of color you know, whether it's services or products, like I can create specific messaging for them. I can research to think, you know, what are women of color thinking about? Oh, we're thinking about stress. We're thinking about well-being. Mm-hmm. We're, we're thinking about mm-hmm. our glow, you know, and that's a different set of worries from white women, mm-hmm. you know? So when I think about skincare products, white women are worrying about anti-aging. Black women are worried about hyperpigmentation. Right. If I'm making a product that's for everybody, like, how am I going to, like, actually create products to, you know what I mean? Not to say that some products may not serve multiple purposes, but when you expand to try to capture everyone, you actually lose your niche. Um, And so you're you're right. And, you know. And as long as you root on black women, you can never go wrong. And I and I know mm-hmm. that I don't need to say that to you, but I'm I gonna say it anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> um, and I guess just going off of that, did you have any like moral role models or like do you have any people that you look up to? I guess even as an entrepreneur or like as a person. Hmm. I do. Um I think that the first people to come to mind are really my friend group. So I have friends who are actors, entrepreneurs, marketing gurus. They may not all be entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but I've been really inspired by what I've learned from them and how they have each committed to lifelong learning. And that might have been for some, you know, from undergraduate to PhD. And for others, it might be I'm a, you know, I'm a stylist, so I'm always staying current on what's happening. So in formal and informal ways, like the learning never ends. Mm-hmm. And so there's always like this fresh, freshness of fresh ideas and new insights and like that just innovation that really um, grounds me and inspires me. And I think that the other person that's always been an inspiration, um, I you know, grew up reading Dr. Angelo and had no idea that I would end up working at the same institution that she worked at, you right. know, the same, you know, getting to meet her and things like that. But I think that what inspires me most about her that informs my my work and me as an entrepreneur is that um, this idea of creating your own and moving to your own rhythm. Um, It really helped me to understand that I am limited by the boxes that I create and the parameters that I'm willing to accept. Mm -hmm. Um, So she is someone who didn't have a high school education going on to receive 30-some-odd honorary degrees, being a a sought-after lecturer and all these different things that technically as a black woman who was not educated Mm -hmm. in the formal or conventional sense should not have been able to be. And yet she was exactly who she was supposed to be. And so I think that having real life examples like that, that remind me that black girl magic does truly exist and that 
actually do things that are not possible in spite of the systems that oftentimes exist to prevent it. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, of course, we would love for those systems to go away so we could just be fabulous on our own without <laughs> having, to, <laughs> having to do all that. But I, I come back to that at times when I struggle with, you know, am I enough or do I really deserve this? Because doubt and all that still is a part of my experience. Mm -hmm. But knowing her story and her journey, you know, it gives me something to shut myself up with, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, I definitely understand because that imposter syndrome is real, especially (laughs) especially at a place like Wake and uh, like just Dr. Angelou and just seeing her, it's like, oh yeah, we're meant to be here. Like we can do this. So Mm -hmm. yes, yes. All right, we're coming down to the end. So this is the okay. second to last question. Um, looking back on your path as an entrepreneur, is there anything you would have done differently? Mm, yes. Um, I would have asked for help earlier on. So I love to learn and I'm really eclectic. So mm-hmm. in my career, mm-hmm. I've worked in finance, marketing, IT, diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of different things that allow me to really do what I do well, because I know a lot of different functional areas. But the curse of it is that I love to learn about different things. And as an entrepreneur, I didn't understand that I needed to put that aside um, and allow that to stay in my professional development realm and not my oh, you're going to learn to do marketing and now you got to figure out A-B testing and you're going to be, you know, doing your finances and your bookkeeping because what's difficult for entrepreneurs is to balance working on their business and working in their business. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to work on and in so that I would know the ropes um, before I was asking other people to take on responsibility. And... I also was afraid of like, is this the right investment to be making right now? Because, you know, I'm a startup, so we don't have the finances to be hiring a chief diversity, a chief financial officer or something like that. Um, And so in hindsight, I would have sought more advisors to really help me figure out how to build my team earlier on, because I recognized that I could have scaled faster and sooner had I not been going it alone. Which, you know, also being hyper independent is a trauma response, you know, so there's that. So maybe the answer is I would have healed earlier on. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) wouldn't have felt like there was so much that I needed to do without relying on others. Got you. Got you. And then lastly, what advice do you have for college students who are aspiring entrepreneurs? Just do it. (laughs) Start your Start your business. Having a business should be a part of your financial model for your future. So most people in my generation were taught, oh, you need to have a job in a 401k. Yes, you should have a 401k, but you should also have a business. Um, And so whether you don't, whether you know exactly what your business is yet, um, just be open be open to trying. I know that particularly if you are a student who's a person of color, the idea of failure has a whole different level of weight and connotation than your counterparts. Mm -hmm. But anyway, 
um, and ask for help so that in the event that you are on the cusp of failure, you have someone to support you other than you. Um, know that there are ideas and innovate and innovative things that need to exist in the world and all the reasons that you can give yourself to not do it are just excuses. Um, yeah, just start. I wish that I had leaned in formally sooner because it's fun, even though it's hard. And I think about how many hours I've invested in helping institutions and other organizations scale and build infrastructure so that they can exist. Mm -hmm. And now having the opportunity to do that for something that gets to have my name on it and that I can um, bring other people into. Yeah, that's a lot more interesting. Well, perfect. That's a great way to wrap up our podcast. (laughs) So thank you for joining us. I'm going to stop recording and I'm going to end it. Thank you for listening to Value, Waking Up Your Leadership podcast with our special guest, Shayla Hernan Edmonds, the founder and chief creator officer of Oh My Goodness Wellness Bar. Again, my name is Maya Hobgood, and thank you for listening.